Welcome to the Tuesday Theology edition of the Scottsdale Podcast. At Scottsdale, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So through this theology class, our goal is to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. Enjoy, and we hope that you grow in your knowledge of God and application of His Word. All right, well, it is 7 o'clock. It's 7 o'clock, so we're going to get started. Um, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into chapter 33. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for your grace in our lives. Thank you that we have the opportunity to study, um, to uh, dive into theological works, and to learn and to grow. I pray that you would help us tonight um, as we come near to the end of our, um, our study through this book, that you would give us alert minds and the ability to think and reason well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we do want to welcome you to uh, week 33, I guess it's not week 33, but chapter 33 of Tuesday Theology. We're glad if you are watching us online that you've stuck with us over the course of this last year. Uh, so we have two more classes tonight, and then next Tuesday will be, uh, will be you guys' graduation. <laughs> we don't have any caps or gowns. Um, we'll take the money. The money. We'll take the money. All right, I hear you. Uh, so tonight we are talk- we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. We'll give, leave a little bit of time for what we're going to be doing next week um, as we kind of finish up. But tonight we are talking about chapter 33 in the Bible Doctrine book uh, on the final judgment and eternal punishment. So um, as you guys had the opportunity to read in the book, there is uh, the first thing that Grudem talks about um, is that there is the fact of final judgment, the fact of final judgment. Um, we see in Scripture that there, are, uh, that there is going to be a great and final judgment of believers and of unbelievers. Uh, they will, everyone in all of history, from the beginning of time until the time uh, of the end, everyone will stand before Christ um, in resurrected bodies. So even unbelievers will have resurrected bodies and they will hear a proclamation of their final uh, and eternal destiny. Uh, the, final des- the final judgment is vividly portrayed in John's vision in Revelation. Uh, we see that in uh, Revelation chapter 20. The final judgment uh, we see uh, written there, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from, its pre- from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it, death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the, land, in the, in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now there are other passages that you guys were able to see. Um, the one that we have on the screen just talks about the reality of a final judgment and that it is a true, that it's true. It's not something that's a, uh, possibility. It's not something that's a, a chance that's going to happen. It is a reality. Romans 2, 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So we hear the finality of that, that the surety that there will be a final judgment. We also see uh, in, in particular passages in scripture that some judgment that we see is immediate uh, and some is delayed. Um, so we see this in 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold 
the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. So uh, we see that there is a, a culmination, but there are precursors that God, uh, in which God will, will uh, reward righteousness and punish unrighteousness throughout history. So we see this across the, the course of time that all judgment is not at the final judgment, right? There's, there's judgment that happens across the course of time. Um, think, what are some of the, the judgments that you guys can think of across the course of time that are fit into this category? Some are immediate, some are delayed. What are some that you can think of as immediate judgments? Flood. The flood, okay. Sodom and, Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Others that you can think of. When David lost his, uh, the, the child. Okay. All right. Now, yeah, that happened. It wasn't a future thing. It happened right then in his lifetime. Any others that you can think of? Some are not quite as drastic. I mean, you have that where there's not just there's not death. Uh, you think of um, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, whenever he what, went crazy and began eating grass and acted like an animal for years um, because of his pride. Or uh, you think of Herod in uh, in the book of Acts, where he goes out and he talks about how great the world is that he has built, and immediately he falls down dead. And the worms eat his body, like that kind of thing is, you know, you're like, ugh. You know, that's, that's, uh, they wanted to add that in there. So we see some is immediate. Um, but we also see that there is some in, uh, the reality is that some is delayed. Uh, where we may not see until the final judgment, the actual judgment taking place. It might look like somebody has gotten away uh, with, uh, with, their, with their choices and with their disobedience. But we look forward to a time in which judgment will surely take place. Uh, the second part that we see in uh, Grudem's book is the time of final judgment. Now, this one is where, depending on your view of the millennium, there may be some differences of opinion, right? So Grudem uh, presents a premillennial view, right, that, that there is going to be a, a thousand-year reign, uh, that believers will be uh, resurrected and they'll go to heaven and judgment will happen after, final judgment happens after the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's when final judgment happens, so if you were to say, uh, as we think about the time of final judgment, that's when Grudem uh, argues that it happens after the thousand-year reign. Um, if you were an amillennial person, right? so if you didn't believe that there was a millennium, a literal thousand-year reign, when would final judgment take place? Okay, what do you guys think? <laughs> He doesn't have it in the book. So this is the critical thinking part where we have to kind of bring in different theology that we've learned, uh, more theology than just what, what we have in the book, other, other pieces. So what, it, what, is, uh, what it was the amillennial view of the end times? You guys remember? Okay, so the church age is technically not a millennium, right? Not a thousand year reign, but the church age. And then uh, there is the end, right? So Christ returns. Uh, raises believers that are dead and alive and unbelievers, and there's a judgment right then, right? So there's no thousand-year reign. Um, there, is no, uh, there is no literal millennium. Uh, there is just history. It ends in terms of our way of thinking of history and the trajectory of history. It ends, there's judgment, and then there's eternity, right? So that's the amillennial view, okay? So in that view, as soon as Christ returns, that's it, right? There's no... There's, not, there's, no other, there's no other times, right? So it happens all then. The resurrection of believers, where believers are rewarded and unbelievers are judged finally and fully happens 
in that moment. Okay, so then premillennial, we've already talked about that. That's Grudem's view uh, that uh, believers are um, are caught up or they go to be with the Lord. And then there's a thousand year reign. And then there's the final judgment. What about postmillennial? We just kind of tr- kind of track along. So amillennial, there's no millennium. Premillennium happens after the millennium. What, what do you guys think post-millennium? Happens after. after, right? All of it happens after, right? All right, so, um, so those are the different views. Again, uh, Grudem tends toward premillennialism, and so that's the view that he um, uh, taught. We also see passages in the New Testament that would give evidence that it all happens at once, too. So um, those, are, those are views that we don't hold with an iron fist, right, to say, uh, they are uh, core doctrines that if you don't believe uh, in a particular view of the millennium, then you're a heretic, right? So uh, one, one pastor that I know, he, he, uh, he, he would say that he was a pan-millennialist. I don't know if Pastor Phil mentioned that to you guys last week, but it's all going to pan out in the end, right? So it's going to work out. We don't have to worry about how that goes. And, and we're, Jim told us. Oh, Jim told us that? Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's for those that are non-committal, right? So if you don't want to... Take a stand on something. Um, okay, so we have the time of final judgment. Depending on your view of the millennium, uh, that will kind of dictate which, which one of those views that you, that you embrace. The nature of the final judgment. What is it going to be like? Well, all we, we don't have an experiential uh, ability to say what it's going to be like, except for what we have from Scripture. Uh, there are some truths that we understand from the Bible about the, uh, about the nature of the final judgment. Uh, the first is that Jesus Christ will be the judge. Uh, we see this in multiple passages, but Acts chapter 10, verse 42 uh, is kind of a very clear picture of that. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And remember, he did that. The reason that he is able to do that is because of his resurrection from the dead. We see that in that same passage. Okay, so Jesus is, uh, Jesus will be the judge. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Uh, the second thing that we see is that unbelievers will be judged. We see this in Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. So we see that there is uh, the dead that is the great and small. It's going to be where God's judgment is revealed. Uh, this judgment of unbelievers will include include degrees of punishment. Uh, we see Luke 20, 47, uh, regard, we're talking about particular people. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So there is some description. We don't know exactly what that looks like, right? So if there's uh, what that looks like in terms of eternity, but there is evidence that there are degrees in some sense of punishment. Um, we also see um, that every wrong, done, every deed done, every wrong deed done will be remembered and taken account of. Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. Uh, that one is one that we um, that we keep and remember uh, very closely whenever we deal with our conversation and our speech. Right, uh, that we do have to give an account, uh, and I think that there's a, an important reminder whenever. God brings it even down to the things that we say to remember that everything that we do is important before God's eyes, right? There's no, there's no insignificant things that we do. There's no really amoral in some ways things that we do. Things are going to be brought into judgment. 
Um, so we see that there is going to be a reality that unbelievers will be judged. Um, we see that the judgment of unbelievers will inc include degrees of punishment. And we see that every wrong deed done will be remembered and taken account of. So it's not just unbelievers that are judged, though. Right? We also read from this chapter that believers will be judged. Believers will be judged. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us, remember he's writing to believers, may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, whenever you guys hear that, what is kind of the first thing that you think of? Like whenever you hear unbelievers are going to be judged and believers are going to be judged, like what is your kind of first reaction or your visceral kind of response to that? Yes, sir. First off, I just going back just a little bit there. Since there's degrees of punishment, how do we justify that statement with that all sin is the same under God's eyes? So, um, it is in terms of it being judged, right? So everything is, has to be taken account of, right? So whenever we think of even here on, like as we're living, the consequences for each kind of sin or each sin are not the same, right? So if you think about um, a particular type of sin, let's say um, if you... Lies if you, if you murder. Yes. So there, there are particular consequences for different, varying degrees of sin. That was one of the things that I was always told. Sure. Sin, venial sin, right, and some of that deals, and some of that right, that uh, doctrine deals with how we can, in some ways, uh, atone for our own sins. So we can do particular no, that's, works. And that's yeah. Discussion. So that, but it's it, it flows in line with that that there are things then that we can do to wipe off, in some ways, um, the the lesser sins. Right. So the things that we could we could we could undo some of the punishment for that by doing other things to to kind of gain favor or, or earn grace. So this is not saying the same thing. Right. So we're saying that the, these people are unbelievers who have gone to the grave with having rejected Jesus mm -hmm. and that in some capacity, again, we just have um, we just have testimony from Scripture that there is some sense in which there is a degree of punishment. Yeah. OK. And as so. far as, as far as this, I mean, if we weren't judged then as, as uh, believers even, then we could say we could do anything we wanted. Okay, sure. So that's when I read this. Is, you know, this, we all are accountable. That's right. Whatever we do. Even if we have Jesus Christ as our advocate, mm -hmm. we still need to try and do the best we can. That's right. Yeah, so that's why, uh, that's why in Scripture there's, uh, there are commands, right? Things that we are called to do to obey and we grow in, uh, in faith. Some people might read this and become uh, fearful, right? Uh, well, we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Are we going to be judged on the same basis that unbelievers are? Is, the, is, there kind of, is our eternity hanging in the balance when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Is maybe a question that people might have. Um, but whenever we get there, we, we're reminded that judgment should never cause believers to fear that they will be eternally condemned, right? So judgment should never cause believers to fear that they will be eternally condemned. Romans 8.1 gives us a great promise uh, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we have that great promise uh, that there is no condemnation. So our judgment before Christ at the end of time is not salvific. Right? It's, not a, it's not something that says um, either you, this is like um, there's a possibility in this that you could lose your salvation 
here before the judgment seat of Christ. Like we don't see that as a, as a, a fearful thing. We see it as a, like, like you were saying, uh, uh, no, um, that it is a reminder for us of growing and that, that, that our works too, our lives are also, we have to give an account for them uh, in, uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. We also see that uh, scripture teaches that there will be degrees of reward for believers, that there will be degrees of reward for believers. We see this in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise or another way that it says it is their con- commendation uh, from God. They will re- receive their commendation from God or praise uh, or well done, good and faithful servant is another, another passage in the New Testament that we see uh, as related to that. Um, we also see that there are other verses that suggest that God will never again call our sins to remembrance. So this goes back to the reminder that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Okay. Although, uh, Grudem points this out, there will be degrees of reward in heaven. The joy of each person will be full and complete for eternity, not based on status, but on fellowship. So there's a, a reminder uh, for us here that we don't, we don't think of, of the rewards that we get as making us more or less joyful in eternity. Right? So every believer in eternity experiences the same fullness of joy being in the presence of God as every other believer, right? So whether it's the thief on the cross, okay, who died right there, had no real ability to do anything in terms of uh, living a life that honored God from that point forward, his joy in eternity will be the same as John the Apostle, who lived for many, many years following faithfully, writing books in the New Testament. So their, their joy will be the same. Their inheritance is the same. Uh, there is, in some sense, though, uh, a, uh, a degree of reward in heaven. Um, we see in Hebrews 10, And let us consider how we may spur one another up toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're encouraged uh, to be, be reminded of these. Yes, sir. Uh, so what does that mean for introverts? What does that mean for introverts? It means that you continue to pursue the Lord and you, uh, in times where our, maybe our natural bent is to do something or be, um, um, to, 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 to not actively obey. So we have sins of omission and sins of commission. So there are things that we don't do um, because we know that they're, they're sinful, right? So uh, we don't. Uh, steal, so we, we, we're not going to actively commit sins of commission, right? Sins of omission would be if there's a scripture that tells us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, and we say, well, because of my natural disposition, I can't do that, then scripture would have to disagree with us politely and say, this is a command that God has given us, and he's given us his spirit and his word and his people to accomplish it. Therefore, we somehow times have to uh, step outside of our natural comfort zones and do the things that God calls us to do in his word. So, yeah. So I think that there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
the same could be true for somebody that's an extrovert, right? So we think of even of that in every careless word will be come into account, right? That there's a judgment that you have to give. Sometimes extroverts talk a whole lot, right? And so the same is true for them that they have to guard their words, maybe even more closely than an introverted person would have to do um, so that they're not, so that they're not finding themselves speaking out more often than not. Yes, sir. Also, introverts are, it's their actions, what they're doing, Mm. what people see coming from them. That's right. That is a, you know, a, a reference for them to see you know, it doesn't always have to be, like you say, it doesn't always have to be spoken. Sometimes right. speaking sure. can get you in trouble. That's true. So there's lots of different uh, um, interesting scenarios. And it also, I mean, uh, introversion does not keep us from growing in, studying God's word, uh, praying, um, witnessing, sharing the gospel. So those are all things that, that can be part of that. So, uh, yeah. So I always like to remember that God knows exactly how he makes every person and he still gives us commands. Right? So uh, we're not excused from, from obeying his word. Um, we also see in the final judgment that angels will be judged. Angels will be judged. We see this in Jude chapter 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So angels... Uh, And in this capacity, we would say uh, demonic angels, fallen angels, uh, have been held in this sense um, until the day of final judgment. Point D is the the necessity of final judgment. Uh, Since unbelievers pass into a state of separation from God and the endurance of punishment when they die, why a time of final judgment at all? Why a time of final judgment at all? Um, Grudem gives four, four reasons for this. Um, couldn't it just kind of happen and nobody knows it, right? They just kind of pass on into eternity and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Um, the first that he gives is that uh, the, the necessity of final judgment is to display before all the declarative glory of God in a formal forensic act, which magnifies his holiness and righteousness and for believers, his grace and mercy. So in that one moment, all of the universe sees God magnified, glorified for his holiness, righteousness, his grace, and his mercy. Okay? So uh, there's, no, there's no hiding from that. Right? And God gets, God gets glory in that. Two, it will not be secret but public. Third, it will not pertain to the soul only but also to the body. So we are, um, we are um, embodied people, right? So we're not just souls. And then uh, the, the fourth is it will not have reference to a single individual, but to all men. So the necessity is this universal reality for, uh, for us um, that it shows these truths uh, as it relates to the necessity of final judgment. Why is it necessary? These are four reasons why. The justice of God and the final judgment. This is a reminder for us that God uh, is completely just and that nobody uh, gets, the, gets the ability to claim that God was unfair, right? that God did something unfairly. Um, Romans 2.11 says, For God does not show favoritism. For this reason, on the last day, every mouth will be stopped and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Uh, nobody will be able to complain that God has treated him or her unfairly. In fact, uh, one of the great blessings is that God uh, will demonstrate and show his pure justice 
and it will be a source for, of praise to him for all eternity for those of believers. As we kind of continue on in this, um, there's, a, there's a moral application. These are some of the things like, what, is it, what does this actually mean for us today? What are some of the applications of the final judgment? Why is it, what, what can it do, I guess, in helping us today? Um, this doctrine has several positive moral influences in our lives. The first um, is that the doctrine of final judgment satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in the world. Malachi 3.16, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. So it shows um, that ultimately, ultimately God is going to bring every deed into, uh, into account. Right? That nobody escapes God's judgment. Um, we have uh, a, an inward sense of of desire for justice. Right? We are created in God's image, and though our sense of justice may be off because of the fall and because of sin, we still have an innate sense that, that things ought to be made right, that, that there should be um, a rightness in our universe. And uh, there, this is a reminder for us, this, this uh, final judgment, that uh, our inward sense of a need for justice in the world will be satisfied, um, will be satisfied. The second is the doctrine of final judgment enables us to forgive others freely. Now, this is an important one for, for us, right? So as you think about um, whenever people sin against you, sometimes our inclination is to want to enact justice ourselves, isn't it? We want to get them back. We want to be the one that meets out the punishment for whatever we think their crime deserves. Uh, this, though, reminds us that because of God's commitment and the surety of his final judgment, that we can forgive others freely. First Peter 2 says this, He, talking about Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. This is where Jesus, right here, his trust or his confidence in the doctrine of final judgment allowed him to go through that without uh, any animosity in his actions or in his thought or in his intentions. This is how he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He looked forward and he knew that ultimately every, everything was going to be made right. right. That there was not going to be an unfairness. There was not going to be um, a sin that was not accounted for either in God's justice against the unbeliever or in Christ. Um, that all, uh, all sin was going to be accounted for. And so he could walk through that without, without retaliating or without trying to get back at those, at those people. The same is true then for us, where we can release people of their debts, knowing that ultimately God is going to be just in, a, in bringing into the light those things, and he's going to judge them. Again, either finally in Jesus, if that person is a believer, and there's no condemnation for the things that they have done because of what Christ has accomplished, or for eternity, they will, uh, they will receive the due penalty for their sin. So that's how we can, that's how theology really informs us as it relates to our own particular lives, uh, especially whenever maybe we think they've done something so bad to me that I could never forgive them. Right? There's just no way that I could ever forgive them. This doctrine can help us take the steps towards, uh, towards forgiveness. Um, again, forgiveness doesn't mean that we become best friends with people, but it does, re it reminds us that we can release them of that debt. 
of, of what we think that we are, we are owed, okay? Uh, third, the doctrine of final judgment provides a motive for righteous living. Uh, Mr. Curran, this is what you were saying, right? So uh, looking forward and knowing that we have to give an account for our lives does motivate us to live in a way that honors the Lord uh, for both believers and for unbelievers. Uh, Matthew 6, 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy uh, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So is it, a great, it is a great motive for righteous living. For unbelievers, the doctrine of final judgment does provide some moral restraint in their lives. Um, in society, there is widespread general acknowledgement that someday uh, we have to give an account to the creator of the universe. Um, and for believers, it is a reminder for us to continue living in a way that honors the Lord. The fourth thing we see is that the doctrine of final judgment provides a great motive for evangelism. If we believe this doctrine is true, if we believe that nobody escapes this, right, that it is final, that Jesus is going to judge, that there is a reality of punishment for unbelievers and that there is reward for believers, it motivates us for evangelism. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if we, this is one of the ways that oftentimes we can look across our own lives and we can say, well, do we really believe this is true? Because if we believe that this is true and that we have no guarantee of how long anybody that we know is going to live and that once they take their final breath, there's no changing the score, there's no way to go back and do it over, then we look at this and we say, what is our response? Is it to continue to be quiet and just hope that somebody else tells them? You know, hopefully somebody else will come into their lives and God will give them enough time and that person can come share the gospel with them. Or does it uh, spur in us a zeal to say, I need to tell these people. I need to tell people about this reality that they face, that there, that there is a true uh, judgment um, and the only way for them to not bear their own condemnation is to be in Christ. Because that's the only promise that we have is that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so this provides uh, a great motive for evangelism uh, so that we take seriously the, the call to go and make disciples of all the nations um, because we know that everybody stands before the Lord, right? And nobody gets out of that. And uh, in addition to this, uh, this doctrine, of final judgment, uh, we also recognize that uh, there are two real places, um, heaven, and we'll talk about that, will be talked about next week, the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, the reality of a place called hell. Um, you see in Grudem's book, uh, he defines hell as a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked, eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. There are uh, many verses in the New Testament that give us, that, that kind of help us uh, corroborate or concoct this definition. Um, some in most, many in the Gospels, uh, Mark 9, uh, 43 says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out, right? So there is eternal uh, punishment for the wicked. Uh, and then Luke 16, 28, for I have five brothers 
let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment, which is, which is a testimony of somebody who is, who is there to be able to say it is a conscious punishment. It's not something that happens passively where, where somebody doesn't actually know what's going on. There is an eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Uh, we also see other places where it talks about the hell, that hell is a place where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Um, this passage comes from the, um, from the passage of uh, Lazarus um, and uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, Jesus gives this piece of information. We also see in Revelation, as we move there to the descriptions of this e- eternal punishment, they become very explicit. Um, and we see that in Revelation 14, uh, 9. It says, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he shall also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured uh, unmixed into the cup of his anger, and he shall be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever uh, receives the mark of its name. So we see this as an eternal, conscious punishment. Now, um, you did also read that there, there is a view out there called annihilationism. Okay, so that's a, um, it's not a new view, uh, but it is a view that some, um, some hold um, that there will be a, a time of, of punishment. So unbelievers don't get out of it, but that ultimately they are destroyed. So annihilation means that they cease to exist, basically. Right? So they are punished for a little while and they cease to exist. Um, we don't, they, 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 there's references to passages that talk about destruction of the wicked. And so the implication is, if they're destroyed, they no longer exist. Rather than reading and saying, well, destroyed doesn't necessarily mean destroyed in an instance uh, and no longer existing. It could just mean that they're condemned. They are judged. They are, uh, they are no longer, um, they're no longer in the presence of anything good. So we also uh, see other things that they, especially that with the destruction, um, doesn't necessarily imply the cessation of existence. Um, it, could, it could mean existence of some other kind um, as it relates to that. So we see that there are many, uh, that there are people that believe annihilationism. It's not super prevalent um, from what I know of in contemporary theology. More, more, more oftentimes than not in contemporary theology, uh, it's really trying to erase the existence of hell, uh, to say that hell really isn't a thing. Um, really, kind of the picture becomes that hell is what we experience now, and that um, that basically then everybody gets to heaven. So it becomes kind of a universalism um, that whatever we've experienced here is is all the hell that we will experience, and there's no actual place where the Bible talks about. Mr. Gary. Yeah, let's go back to the mark on the forehead. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I've been led to believe that in future times, we all might have a tattoo or a barcode on our forehead to uh, participate in the world economy. Sure. So does that mean if a Christian is intimidated into receiving the mark, they're doomed? Well, so the the reality is those would have to be volitional choices, right? So somebody's going to have to believe, they're going to have to do that volitionally, okay? Um, so if somebody is, 
is marked without any, 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 any choice, um, we're not dealing with the same thing. We're, we're, we're talking about somebody that worships the beast and its image. Right? So that's somebody that submits, to, submits their life to this, this worldview, this way of living. To say, I've cast in my lot, or I'm on the side of the beast and its image. So I've, I've become part of this system intentionally, on purpose. Um, this, is, this is who I am. Um, so it's not somebody that is, that is, uh, that is attacked or that is um, oppressed, I guess, in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it deals with the, its name. And we think of um, uh, this picture of um, uh, those that, re- that worshipers of the beast in its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. We're dealing with, really, again, we think about um, uh, taking the name of the Lord or becoming uh, identified with someone or something. So people in this situation are going to be identifying themselves as followers of the beast uh, in, in one way, or shape, or form. So what that looks like exactly, we don't know. Um, but we do know that it's going to be a volitional world movement kind of a, kind of a situation where there will be a clear um, delineation between those that are following the lamb and those that are following the beast. Yeah. Okay? All right. Um, so we did have one, one ask about uh, a doctrine called soul sleep, um, which is a doctrine that basically means that uh, in some sense that our bodies, when we die, there's not a, a consciousness in that moment that, there is, that our bodies just basically go to sleep until the final judgment, okay? So that, that would be, let's say that I died right now, um, that my soul would not immediately go into the presence of the Lord, but it would sleep until, until the day that it was resurrected, right? So there's kind of a period of time. Um, but we, also, we see in Scripture that, uh, that picture itself um, being... Um, not, not, not taught as it relates to Scripture. Whenever we think of passages like 1 Corinthians, um, whenever Paul talks about, or 2 Corinthians when Paul talks about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So whenever, whenever our bodies and soul are separated at death, our, our soul goes to be with the Lord um, and our body is in the ground. Uh, similarly, whenever Jesus talked to the man on the cross, uh, the thief, uh, when he said, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise, Obviously, the, the, the thief's body wasn't with Jesus in paradise, but he was with him in, in paradise. So um, we have scripture references that would, that would um, identify that's not, that that's not what the Bible teaches about our souls and bodies being disconnected. Um, and then we will be reunited uh, at the resurrection on the last day. Um, and then First John talks about how we don't know what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. So we don't know exactly what our glorified bodies will look like, um, but... They will be glorified. So that'll be good, right? That'll be very good. All right. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time here at the end uh, of our class. Any particular questions about that? Okay. So today is uh, uh, week 33. We did do chapter 33. Next week will be the last week. Um, and what we want to do, um, it's going to be on the new heavens and the new earth. Okay. So it's the... It's the great celebration. We think about the wedding supper of the lamb and all that good stuff. So what we are going to do is next week, uh, we are going to have a a short time of teaching, uh, then a time of just sharing what God has done as you've learned and grown through this. We're also going to have a dessert fellowship. So um, if you 
if you're going to be here, if you know even right now, I'm going to be here next week, I want you to go ahead and get your phone out and I want you to go ahead and scan that QR code. It's going to take you to a Cognito form. I want you to register uh, that you'll be on there, uh, that you'll be here next week so that we can kind of have a general count of who's going to be there. Um, so I'll let you guys do that. No, we'll make sure we have stuff. We'll have stuff. Unless you guys have like a super phenomenal dessert that you want to bring and share with everybody. If you do, you're welcome to. Uh, you can do that. Okay. All right. If you want to, that's fine. You, you just go ahead and bring, bring stuff. That'd be great. And if you're watching online and you're in the area, if you're local, uh, this is going to be for May the 31st. So that'll be Tuesday, May the 31st. There is a link in the description box uh, below. So if you wanted to be here for that fellowship next week, uh, May the 31st, uh, we would love for you to go ahead and register for that so we could be able to make preparation for you to be here as well. Thank you for listening. And we hope that this teaching has enriched your understanding of God. If you found this teaching to be helpful, share it with your friends and family on social media and tag us at Scott's Hill. Till next time.